Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And sitting next to me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. You're dead to me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Chris is reading his notes off of his brand new iPad. Yeah, and your point being? It, it's pretty. Yeah. Well, I, it's also heavy, so I'm going to have right. to get a stand for this thing. Okay, good. I'm glad that you were able to throw in some sort of uh, uh, downside to it, because otherwise I might end up walking no, to the I, Apple store. Everything has an upside and a downside. So uh, you know what also takes has an upside and a downside? What's that, Jonathan? Testing video games. Oh, you mean like the best job in the world? That's what some people think. But we're here to talk about what really goes on with video game testers. And, you know, you see a lot of uh, stuff online about it. There are lots of sites that uh, purport to help you become a video game tester. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about that in a, in, in a few minutes. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different arguments on either side. Like there's some people who will say, hey, I can't believe it. I get to make money playing video games. It's awesome. You should do it too. And then there are those who are saying, no, it's really the worst job in the world. And really, again, 
the truth lies between the extremes? Well, I think that the basic, if you get right down to the, the, the core truth of it is it's a job. Yeah. It's not something where you go and play, you know, to play. Right. So let's, let's talk about what video game testers actually do. Now, it's their job to take a video game for, you know, a video game per assignment, let's say, mm-hmm. and to test out a certain set of, uh, uh maybe per- perhaps certain set of levels, or they're told that the video game developers have just, uh, instituted a particular new feature and mm-hmm. it's their job to test the feature, make sure that everything happens the way it's supposed to. Well, it's like any kind of software testing, really. I mean, they're, when, when a software developer is putting together a program of some kind, uh, generally the developer is going to give it to a group of testers to see if they can break it. Essentially, right. that's sort of the, the vernacular. But yeah, I mean, the idea is to, well, do everything you can to it and see if there are any bugs in it. And right. if there are any bugs, we need to work these out before we release this to the general public. And the, uh, the developer has a vested interest in doing this because if they release a, a program of, of any kind to the public that has a lot of problems with it, it's difficult to use, um, people are going to complain about it. And, you know, in these days when, when the internet is plenty of places for us to complain about it, yeah. um, it's not like it's going to go unnoticed if you, if you throw a lemon out there. So right. video that- game testers, you know, the, the video game industry has a, is a multi-billion dollar industry. They, it's in their best interest to give it to a bunch of people to try anything and everything they can to see if they can make it break. Right, right. Yeah, because it can affect the sales of the video game, mm-hmm. which that's the bottom line. You know, the, these video game companies are making video games not necessarily because they really want to entertain you, but because it's a great way to make money. It's not to say that everyone who works in the video game industry is just interested in, in making cash, but at the end of the day, it's a business. Oh, yeah. So you do want to have the that quality assurance team uh, to check your your product before it ships because you would rather know about a problem before it hits store shelves so that you can fix it mm-hmm. rather than release something. I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again where a game has come out and the producers will actually say, yeah, um, you're going to notice when you play this that this one thing doesn't really work well, but don't worry, we've got a patch coming in a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wow, that that's unfortunate that they found that bug so late in the development cycle. It's also why I don't I always think it's a better idea to tell people the game will be done when it's done mm-hmm. rather than to announce a release date, especially if you're like, by the end of the year, this game's coming out because I guarantee you there's going to be something that comes up and either they're going to have to drop a feature from the game or it'll go out a little buggy uh, or it ends up missing its release date. Can oh. you think of a game that misses its release date? Oh, because they would get most of the way through it, find a better gaming engine, and decide to scrap the entire development of the game and start over from scratch? I have a feeling you're talking about Duke Nukem Forever. Yes. That's a good example. Yes, it is so, an excellent example. So video game testers, what they do is they test the hell out of a video game to make sure that there aren't any game-breaking bugs out there. And that that's everything from running through a level the way you're supposed to, to doing everything you're not supposed to do in the video game to make sure it doesn't break the game. Because I guarantee you, if you release a game, some player out there is going to try something that, you know, it never occurred to you when you were building the game. Yeah. Because you're thinking, oh, player has to get from point A to point B, and here's the pathway that the player needs to go through. 
Well, when you give that to real people, they're like, oh, well, I'm at point A. I need to get to point B. I'm going to take this totally different route that no one ever even imagined when they were developing the game and see if that works. What happens if I jump off this wall here? Right. So you you could be – if you were a, a video game software tester, you might be asked to shoot anything and everything in the room to see what, what happens. Right. And if anything unusual happened, you would have to document it and you would have to be able to explain in very clear terms exactly what happened and why it was a problem. And here's another element about video game testers. Some people think the video game testers would, would play a game and then say, oh, you know, this, this level would be great if only you had a bad guy uh, behind this one door instead of behind that counter. Because when you put them behind the counter – it's uh it's too hard to see and uh and it makes the makes this level way too hard. They don't care. That's not what you're there for if you're right. a video game tester. You're not there to tell them that their game is great or their game stinks. You're there to tell them, "Hey, your game works or it doesn't work." Right. Right. And you may you may be asked to play, let's say, level 3 over and over and over again to make sure that it's playable and that everything works correctly. Or you may just be told to load level 3 over and over, not even playing, just loading it over and over to make sure that the game doesn't crash if you load and then restore a saved game 40 times in a row. Or you could be asked to turn it on and off to see how long the loading process actually takes for the game itself. Right. You could also be told, hey, uh, turn on level three and, you know, we've got those in... If you've played video games, you know a lot of video games have invisible walls, oh, which yes. drive me nuts. I hate invisible walls. But it's when you come up to the edge of a level and it doesn't let you go any further, even though you can see as a character that there's more there. But there are people down there. I want to go talk to them. They might want you to check every single little space around the entire perimeter of the level to make sure you don't pass through something and, and go somewhere you're not supposed to. This this also applies to levels where there are solid walls. They may say, oh, you know what? I need you to walk along the perimeter of every single solid wall to make sure it is solid and that you don't accidentally pass through and go into an, a part of the level that you're not supposed to. Yeah, and of course, uh, this is where our earlier Easter egg podcast comes in, too, because sometimes there are you know, deliberately holes in those invisible walls, but they're there for a reason. Right. They don't want to make sure that there aren't any that aren't supposed they to. They don't be. want to see like you somehow accidentally turn clipping off and now you're able to just walk through everything. Um, also, another thing to keep in mind when you're a video game tester, like we've already pretty much, I think we've run it into the ground that you're not playing the game in order to win it. Yeah, um, also, you don't play straight through. Yeah, you're also not necessarily playing the anything close to a final build. Right. What you might be playing might miss tons of, of uh, functions and features, meaning that what you're what you are currently running through ha- will have no resemblance to the final product once it's released. Yeah. But um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, 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 I'm sorry. Um, to that point and to your earlier point, uh, yeah, from what I've read, game testers basically get their hands on the earliest playable version of the game because um, as soon as you know they can get testing in there, you know, if they keep building and building and building and wait until the final version is done and say, okay, well, we're pretty sure this is a playable build of the game, go on ahead... Well, there might be layers and layers and layers of code that depend on that buggy chunk that causes problems that they'll have to completely recode. So they they need to get people uh, testing those games as soon as possible right. to prevent you know additional mistakes added on layer by layer onto the uh, onto the original bug. So um, you know this isn't something that they wait until the the final is done. 
Yeah, and not only that, but uh, the once they fix a bug, then you may have to go back and do the exact same thing you just finished doing for the last four hours mm-hmm. because they want to make sure that the fix they put in actually fixed the problem. And they have to make sure that the fix they put in doesn't break something else, mm-hmm. which True. does happen. Yes. Um, here's another thing to throw out there. Besides the fact that, yes, the games you're going to play aren't going to necessarily resemble the final product, and yes, uh, it's going to... You know, you're not really playing to win. You're playing to make sure it works. You don't have any real say in what kind of games you're going to be testing. Nope, and it might be a long time between games. Yeah, um, we and, we actually have an article on the site about mm-hmm. this, and wh- I, I thought it was an uh, uh, an interesting analogy to compare them to day laborers because it's sort of like that. I mean, you you could test a game, and then if the developer you work with doesn't have anything else for you right now. You're you've, you're gonna have to find another job for a while until there's something else, or you know, find another developer to work with. Yeah, and it may be that you're thinking, "Oh, awesome! I'm gonna be working on the next super uh, advanced first-person shooter. I can't wait." And then you find out your first assignment is to test out My Little Kitten, and you have to make sure that the kitten in My Little Kitten behaves the right way, and there's no problems, and and that's your job for. Testing this game day in day out for the next like three days, um, you know I'm I'm a little upset because the AI in My Little Kitten was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I could never get past the part where it just started to chunk mice's mice's mices at you. <laughs> so um, so much for extemporaneous attempts at yeah, humor. Yeah, and we'll just count that as a fail. Okay, so we'll call that a Josh and Chuck moment. Uh, oh. The so, yeah, so you don't have any necessarily any say in what kind of games you're going to be playing. Uh, now, that all, all that being said, testing video games is a very important part of the process, and it can be a way to get into the video game industry, although in order to do that, you, you kind of also need to have some background, at least in, in your schoolwork, to um, to suggest that you know you could move on to to perhaps become a developer or an artist or you know uh, you know sound design or something. Um, it's it's a lot harder to move into those fields if you don't have the education to back it up. But video game testing can be a way to get into that. Yes, um, and it helps to be as professional as possible. Yes, uh, you know, tell if you're really seriously interested in this, don't act you know. Like you're just happy to play the game. Say, look, I'm really interested in the development and learning more about the processes of coding and developing this game further. I'm really interested in user experience and making sure that the uh, the players enjoy this game um, and the mechanics behind it. And you know, that's gonna that's gonna take you a lot farther than going, woohoo! I got the latest shooter. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, the ads online for things like, especially for the the web services that say that if you sign up with them, you you'll yeah. get a leg up in the industry. Um, a lot of them might suggest that you could play even from home. So now you're now you've got the ultimate fantasy, right? You're mm-hmm. sitting at home. You don't even have to get dressed. You just sit there, turn on the TV, start playing those games, and and you, you know you're living the high life. Uh, in reality, most of these video game companies require their game testers to come in and test the games because that way they can work side by side with the developers mm-hmm. and say, all right, well here's the problem, here's the situation that it comes up in, uh, and uh, you know I, I I was able to repeat the problem so it's clear that it's not just you know a weird little glitch that happened the one time, um, and usually you're working. 
you know, with a team of people who are sure. working on that one game. Sure. So it's not like you are this, you know, this gamer sitting at home who just gets paid to play games. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a good point. We should talk about how much you could make as a professional game tester. And, and there's really a broad range. Yeah, there is. Uh, in general, most of them are paid on an hourly basis. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that hourly basis when you start off can be 9 to $12 an hour, which is not that much, especially mm-hmm. when you keep in mind that you do not necessarily have steady work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can make as much as I've seen $100 an hour, but that's really for advanced testers. It tends to be like game game tester leads, the people who who yeah. are really in charge of coordinating with the developer team and the testers to make sure that everything is is running smoothly. Yeah. Um yeah. So if you're looking at an annual salary, I've seen ranges from everything around $20,000 a year, which is not that great, to uh around a, you know, upwards of the Eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, which is yeah. that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, especially when you're thinking, I'm testing video games. Well, for me, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and and you could be um, when I was poking around too. You could be sort of a low level tester in, uh, you know, I I saw that uh, Microsoft actually has people come in and basically they'll give you a copy of the game if you'll if you're willing to try it out. I would imagine that uh, in those types of situations, it's like. Hey, we're going live with this. We're planning on going live with this in a week. We really want as many people to come in and play this game as possible. If you come in, we'll give you a copy of the game. Um, that's not what I would consider like professional game testers. But, you know, if you're interested well, in, in trying it out, it might give you an opportunity to do that. And if you've ever seen the chance to sign up for beta testing, beta testing can open it up to the public sometimes, not just, sure. you know, like – some some companies will do all their beta testing. Now, a beta is the build before you go gold. Yeah, which so, is when Gold Master is basically, this is a copy of the disk that we're going to send to be duplicated. Right. So, yeah, that's it's it's usually sort of the non, the, the, the version that doesn't have a name, then alpha, then beta, then gold Omega. master. <laughs> well, it would have to be. It's the last one. Well, yeah. So, so that's beta, not what they call it. No, but it, it should be. Um, but so a beta test, beta build is supposed to be as close to the final build as possible, although there could still be problems. The, the idea sure. is that it's, it is not locked into place, but it should be what you would experience when you get hold of the final copy mm-hmm. um, in a perfect world anyway. In a perfect world, you would not have to make any t- changes to a beta copy and you would just go gold from there. Companies will open this up to the general public, and the reasoning behind it is pretty pretty simple. Yeah. So the idea here is that you've got a lot of players who are eager to play this particular game, and you open up the beta testing to them. They're going to play the heck out of the game mm-hmm. in a short period of time, yeah. and if they see anything that's wrong, they'll let you know. Uh, and you don't have to pay them. Yeah. So you no longer have to worry about testers at that point. Now – before you get to that point, you still need testers. It's not like you magically arrive at the beta build without having tested your product before that point. But right. it does mean that the testing process uh, doesn't have to be in-house as long. Yeah, and it's not as not really as, as formal. Um, I've beta tested a couple um, programs in the past, and generally they just ask you to send in an email whenever you have a problem you know, that you need to report. The funny thing is, I mean, you know, it's not like they check in on you and go, hey, so uh, how's that testing going? Right. Um, although, uh, you know, it, it does sound in- informal to do this, to have the beta testers and, you know, hey, uh, you can try out the program a week before um, it goes gold and, uh, you know, have it three or four weeks before it's on the shelves. Well, you know, 
it could give you a leg up again on trying to get in the door because some of them, even for the beta testing phase, have said, you know, have asked me, have you ever beta tested a program before? Right. And, uh, you know, if you could say, hey, I've, I've beta tested five or six programs. Now I'm interested in getting in the industry. That might give you the opportunity to move up to be a professional level tester. Right. And the other reason a lot of these companies do beta, beta testing, I should have pointed this out too. A lot of them are for games that have an online component. Oh, yes. And so you have to load test. Right. You have to make sure that your servers are going to be able to handle the kind of play that players are going to put them through. Mm-hmm. And so a beta test is really important to make sure that, you know, the infrastructure you've built can actually support the player base. Yeah. Not so really the end user's game so much as it is the back end of the game. Right. To exactly. See if the, the mechanics exactly. Will work. So. Uh, so playtesters tend to not make t- too much money when they start off. Uh, they don't have a lot of say in what they get to do. Um, they're not necessarily playing games that are uh, in their interest area. They're not necessarily playing them the way they would want to. Um, but at the same time, they are an integral part of video game development and can go on to, to really become a bigger part of the industry. You know, I, I thought of another... Uh, minor, but really uh, big killjoy for those who want to be professional gamers. You can't talk about it because you're going to have to sign an, a non-disclosure agreement, yeah. a formal a formal legal agreement saying, you know, I'm not going to talk about this game. Um, so you can't. It's not like you can go hang out with your buddies and go. You should see this thing, right? You know, there's this thing on level five. You yeah, can't, you can't do that. Or this not game, legally. This game has got mechanics that that. You know, are, are brand new and have never been seen in the video game industry. You wouldn't be able to talk about that either. Or even, you know, this thing is the biggest piece of junk that will ever grace the shelves or of even, an electronics. Or store. even in some cases, this thing exists. Like in yeah, some cases, you wouldn't even that's be true. able to mention the name of it. So, um, uh, so that makes it a little less fun too. Yeah, but now that's not to say the video game testers never have any fun. We're just trying no, no, to no. to dispel some of the myths. Yeah. About the uh, the whole industry, because you sit there and you think about, hey, I would love to be able to plop this disc in my Xbox and play all day and then get paid for it. Um, no, it's a job. Yeah, it's it's a job like other jobs, and like other jobs, there are times where you want to strangle your coworker, like when he's looking at his iPad. Would you stop it? I'm just as uh, an example. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, maybe video game reviewer. Oh, that. Now you're talking. Yeah, see? Actually, video game reviewers do a lot of the same stuff that video game testers do, too. Not just to, I mean, they'll play through a game to play yeah. through it, but they'll also play to look for things like obvious glitches, uh, things that break the game. I mean, video game reviewers do the same sort of stuff as well. But you don't have to, you know, go along the sides of the walls and turn it off and turn it on 50,000 no, times. No, no, you could if you really wanted to be thorough, but I don't know any video game reviewer who's that thorough. Two years after the game came out, I finally right. finished my review. Right. Um, yeah. Mm. Now that now that the machines that run it are obsolete. Well, uh, speaking of the machines that run it, yes, uh, we wanted to to address something. We've had several listeners write in uh, about the PlayStation Three and changes that have happened to it. Yeah, because we talked about it not too long ago. Yeah, about how the military was purchasing hundreds of mach- PS3s in order to link them together and make a supercomputer. Well, that's only possible because you could take a PlayStation 3 and install another operating system on it, such as Linux. Right, and the cell, the cell processor allowed you to uh, to link them together if you mm-hmm. had the right software. Um, well, Sony decided to uh, discontinue support of the other OS feature uh, with its most uh, recent firmware update. Mm-hmm. So... Here's the thing. If you own a an old 
PlayStation 3. You know, this is pre-Slim because the Slim didn't support uh, the Linux operating system out of the gate. Mm-hmm. You couldn't put the Linux OS on a out-of-the-box uh, Slim unless you hacked it first. So Sony is essentially telling you you have a choice. Your choice is you can either install the new firmware update, which will take away your ability to have another operating system on your PS3, but in return, you will be able to do things like access the PlayStation Network and be able to run uh, any games that require that particular firmware or any movies that require that particular firmware. Um, or you can not update your PS3, continue the support of the other OS, but you no longer have access to the PlayStation Network or any games that might rely on the firmware in the future. Right. So no matter what, you're going to lose functionality on your PS3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no way to avoid it. Actually. Without hacking it. <laughs> what are you about to say, hacking it? I, I was, uh, no. No, right. I was going to tell you, mm. this is something I found as I was, as we were talking about, uh, I was looking up video game testers and I ran across this. And since we were going to talk about the PlayStation 3 incident, according to the uh, blog, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing this right, but Marison Readings, mm-hmm. um, Amazon in Britain offered one of its customers a um, about 20% refund for a PlayStation 3 because of European Directive 1999-44-EC. Because, see, the item must be bought exactly as the seller says and has to be fit for the purpose that the consumer needs. And the seller has to, you know, know that it is according to the customer needs at the time of purchase. And I'm probably oversimplifying that, but it's, you know, legal ease. Right. Now, the thing is that Sony changed the features by changing the firmware. Right. So it was not serving the customer's needs anymore and uh, thereby altering the function of the console and making it in violation of this statute. Right. Well, Amazon provided the refund, which it from what I can tell, probably isn't going to pass on back to Sony, but uh, this may start a precedent for people saying, this isn't what I bought, and under this law, you know, you owe me money back. And Amazon is not asking for the console back, but, uh, you know, there was no uh, report as to whether or not it was still fit for use for other purposes or whether it was just, you know, recycled at that point. Weird. But, uh, yeah, they got a partial refund because Sony said, you know, changed the firmware and the the customer was no longer allowed to uh, install Linux on it with that firmware update in place. So in the case of the U.S. military and the various uh, research facilities that are around that are using currently using the PS3 as yes. a processor, mm-hmm. uh, they can get around this just by not updating the firmware. And I don't see why they would update the firmware. There's no reason to do that if, the, if they're using it as a processor other than to play games, which they're not supposed to be doing on these things. You totally shot down my argument. But it is the U.S. military, so come on, let's be serious. Um, <laughs> well, they do They do have consoles, but generally not the ones that they're using for, you know, crunching numbers. Right. So they can get around this by not uh, updating the firmware. However, it does mean that what they have is what they're, they're stuck with, right? Yeah. They're not going to buy more PS3s now because they aren't going to work on that system. No, they'll have to and, do something else. And if the PS3 breaks mm-hmm. or when a PS3 breaks, you've just lost part of your system. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, if you can repair it yourself or you can get someone else to repair it so it's working exactly the way it was before, you're fine. Right. But you can't just purchase a new one because it's not going to run the the, uh, the OS you need. Mm-hmm. So that's a real bummer. It is a bummer. Um, I'm not going to make a judgment here. I'm just going to say uh, I own an Xbox 360. Um, well, 
you know, it has left a lot of PlayStation 3 fans upset, even people who weren't doing this. Well, again, anytime you take away functionality of a device that had traditionally supported a certain feature, uh, you're going to upset the, the customer base, even if those people never used that feature. The, but what if I wanted to? Crowd. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm the same way. I can't, I can't judge those folks. I'd be the same way if, if I were told, for example, that let's say that my phone updated tomorrow mm-hmm. and I found out that it no longer supported some feature that I had never used. I'd still be like, what? Why did you take that away? That thing that I don't use. <laughs> How dare you? But it, yeah, but it happens. It happens. I demand satisfaction, sir. I shall see you at dawn. <laughs> um, all right. Well, then Would that, that be a dual boot system. <laughs> well done, Mr. Paulette. Thank you. Thank On you that much. note, I think we can wrap this up. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions about any other, let's say, jobs in the tech industry, uh, if you've got questions about that, send them in. If you have any questions about video games, send those in. If you have questions about tech in general, send those in. Uh, puns, send to Paulette. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, remember, the address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. We do have a, a an article on the site about video game testers, so you can check that out, howstuffworks.com. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. TechStuffHSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 